Episode 68, Smoked Turkey. I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a special Thanksgiving edition of the Cool Things Podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. Burn Over 400 years ago, a group of Anglican separatists left Southampton, England and traveled 3,200 miles to find a new home. They were the Pilgrims, and according to tradition, they celebrated the first Thanksgiving shortly after their arrival. Religious fervor wasn't the only thing these New Worlders brought with them. Join curator Lowell Fritsch and I as we examine a tomahawk pipe from the Sac and Fox Indian Nation. Made of native woods and European metal, this small weapon is a symbol of two cultures blending. Later, we connect William Allen White, a newspaper editor from Emporia, Kansas, to a group of fictional pilgrims traveling through space in a ship called the Battlestar Galactica. That's right. We're connecting a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer to a cheesy sci-fi television series from the 1970s. Was William Allen White the first humanoid Cylon? And if you know what that means, then you'll enjoy this round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. But first, smoked turkey. Good morning, Laurel. Good morning. Um, today, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, since this is our uh, Thanksgiving edition uh, of the podcast, uh, we're going to talk about an object that is uh, literally the blending of Native American and European culture, a tomahawk pipe. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular tomahawk, uh, which is a, you know, a little axe, axe-looking device, handheld axe, uh, handheld axe, it dates from the 1870s. Uh, it has a wood handle adorned with silver decorations. And the axe head <clears throat> is comprised of a blade on one end and uh, uh, the business end or the pi- a pipe bowl on the other end. <laughs> so you got an axe and it's got a, it's, and it's got a pipe built into it. Right. When Europeans first arrived in the New World, would they have actually seen Native Americans uh, carrying around an, a tomahawk pipe? No, they wouldn't. Um, They definitely would have seen Native Americans with tomahawks, um, which is pretty similar to what the British Royal Navy was using at that time as a regular boarding axe. And so basically the Europeans saw this, and at that time the Native Americans had them with just a wood handle and then a stone head for cutting. And they saw that and they said, hey, well, we've got some metal that'll probably cut a lot better than this stone. So they thought it was a great idea for just sort of taking the stone, replacing it with the metal, and then they'd have this really great tool. Where does the name uh, tomahawk derive? Is that, a, is that a Native American word? Sort of. Basically, the first Native Americans that the Europeans encountered who had these kinds of tools were the Renape peoples and also the Algonquin peoples. And they called their axes Tamahawk, Tamahawkin, or T- 
Tam O'Hagan. I hope I pronounced those right. Um, and the European Americans then sort of corrupted that word and ended up calling it tomahawk. So they anglicized it. And um, as I said already, then the Europeans sort of took their the Native Americans' version of the axe and made their own version using the metal. And so as a result of that, when then the European Americans said, hey, all you Native Americans, check out this really cool tomahawk we have, the Native Americans thought that it was just a whole new thing. And so then they started calling it a tomahawk. So it's sort of this weird circular um, kind of thing Consistent with language. corruption of language. Yeah, pretty much. Yes, exactly. What uh, what is, is does a tomahawk have any specific pur- purpose? Well, um, the European Americans really liked the size and the weight of the tomahawks that the Native Americans had because they were really good for throwing. Um, so as a result of that, they're also sort of associated with violence a lot of times when people think about the Indian wars. They Indian wars. I'm sorry. They typically think about Native Americans throwing axes, and it's these tomahawks that they're usually thinking of. So, is that when Native did Native Americans actually use them in in battle, like as a as a? Yeah, sure. Yeah, they were used as war hatchets. They were really a multi-purpose tool. They could be used for just about anything. This isn't your standard tomahawk. Um, it can also be used to smoke stuff. Um, <laughs> I think it's um, just. Pretty much just tobacco, not just stuff in general. Well, I mean, you could you could smoke anything with it. I guess. A I pipe guess. and an axe. Kind of, uh, you know, they seem a bit of a weird combination, um, if not slightly unsafe. Mm. Uh, what was the inspiration for combining an axe and a pipe? Well, that's a really good question. Um, and I don't really know what the inspiration was. Um except that it's really cool. And it sort of gets to that idea, again, of it being a multi-purpose tool. I mean, we think about our Blackberries and our iPhones and things like that. It's all about trying to combine different things to be more efficient. And I guess maybe you could think that that might have been sort of the inspiration, just, again, trying to make it more like a a Swiss Army knife kind of thing. but other than that, I'm not really sure. Was that? Do you think that was the Europeans that did that when they first developed their version of the tomahawk, or was that applied later? Um, it could be certainly the European-American invention, um, but nobody really knows who came up with it first, if it was the Native Americans or the European-Americans. What came first, the pipe or the tomahawk? Yeah, exactly. Um, it appears tomahawks weren't just used for cutting, more even smoking. Did they eventually, did the, did the tomahawks eventually take on sort of a... Um, uh, a non-practical application? Yeah, they, they certainly did. Um, over time, the European-Americans, they tended to sort of decorate these objects. They would take silver inlays um, and do other things with them, attach feathers and things like that to make them more pretty. Um, and as a result of that, they sort of took on the role of being sort of a fashion accessory. And then the European-Americans tended to trade these with Native Americans, especially when it came to things like signing treaties or other diplomatic agreements or something like that. Um, And in fact, Lewis and Clark ended up taking 50 pipe tomahawks with them on their expedition um, to either trade or present to Native Americans as gifts after the treaty signing. 
So sort of as a result of that, them having this more decorative kind of aspect to the way that they looked, they also then sort of became very practical in terms of presenting them as gifts um, and also just for trade. They sort of became pretty desirable. Do you think that there were these these decorated tomahawk pipes, did they become fairly common? Um, yeah, pretty much. During the fur trade era, which is about between 1650 and 1870, this was, that was the primary time when these were being traded back and forth. And especially towards the latter part of that time period, a lot of Native Americans ended up getting their photographs taken with holding these pipe tomahawks because they had sort of taken on this fashion accessory sort of role. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that they that Lewis and Clark brought these along on their trip because um, the tomahawk pipe, using it as like a presentation, it almost sets a precedence for um, the Jefferson medals, you know, mm. um, medals that were used to trade and, and, you know, seal peace agreements between tribes and Americans. And it's got a picture of Jefferson on it, and Jefferson's the one that sent Lewis and Clark on their journey. So. Right. A lot of trinkets apparently used for that kind of stuff. Well, and even today when president, our president goes abroad and meets with other world leaders, there's also there's usually a component of sort of gift trading going mm-hmm. on there, which is very interesting. You ought to give out some tomahawk pipes. Yeah, you exactly. Give out. Um, the materials used in making a pipe tomahawk are rather symbolic of the weapon's cross-cultural nature. Can you tell us a little bit about what the what the tomahawk is made out of? Sure. The wooden part, the handle part, is traditionally made out of native woods, native to North America, I should say, Na- native North American types of woods. And so that sort of gets in that new world angle. And then the axe blades are traditionally made with metal. So that is considered sort of an old world, a European product. So it was sort of that combination of the two. And all of the pipe tomahawks that were made were made in North America. They weren't imported from Europe or somewhere else. And um, over time, originally the blades were made with steel, but then over time they started to be made just out of brass as that sort of decorative aspect of the pipe tomahawk sort of started to come to the forefront. Do the decorations on the handle, the silver decorations, do they have any specific meaning? Not that I know of. Um, I think it's just a sort of standard kind of design for that time period. And, it, you know, it's pretty. It looks nice. So. Mm-hmm. Where did this specific tomahawk pipe come from? Well, it dates from about 1870 or so, so really towards the latter part of the fur trade. And it might have been owned by somebody from the Sac, the Sac or Fox tribes, but I don't, I don't really know for sure. Finally, my last question. What other items besides a pipe do you feel would make a good combination with a tomahawk? I really like this idea of like combining sort of random things like a pipe and a tomahawk. Um, so what other combos do you think uh, could be useful? Um, I have a few suggestions myself. I think uh, we should combine a tomahawk with an MP3 player. And I say that only because, you know, if you think smoking tobacco had a calming effect and helped facilitate tribal meetings, just think what listening to a little Inya could do. Um, The second one is a tomahawk cell phone. 
Um, and I say that only because that way you could call your buddies while you're carving up the Thanksgiving turkey, and they could come over, and you've got a tomahawk. You can sort of reproduce an authentic Thanksgiving experience. <laughs> Plus, it's kind of like a colonial version of Get Smart. Yeah, it is. Remember the phone shoe? Exactly. And here you have a phone tomahawk. Perfect. That's just some ideas. I don't know if they should be marketed, but did you have any suggestions? Um, that's a very, very tough, tough question, but um, I guess a good potential combination would be um, if you think about the cutting edge, the, the blade part of the tomahawk, it could be used for shaving. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. So then on the other side, you could probably have it be a shaving gel dispenser kind of thing or the shaving gel foam aerosol kind of thing. Actually, that's not too bad. You can apply the foam with one and just flip your flip your tomahawk yeah, around and do some sh the Plus, that's like extra manly to shave with a tomahawk. Yeah, it is. It really nice. gets to that backwoods, you know, kind of gruff, roughing it kind of attitude. Indeed. So. Well, that is a brilliant application of the tomahawk. Oh, thank you. All right, Laura. Well, thanks for telling us a little bit about a pipe tomahawk and, um, and uh, where they came from. Well, thank you very much, and have a happy Thanksgiving. There must be some kind of way out of here. Said a joker to the thief. There's too much confusion. And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. And joining me today for her debut uh, appearance on Six Degrees of William Allen White is Michelle Stottlemyre, an education coordinator here at the Kansas Museum of History. Good afternoon, Michelle. Hello. And uh, Michelle and I are both pretty excited about this weekend's or about this week's episode because we're geeky like that. Um, this week we connect William Allen White to Battlestar Galactica a television science fiction series that chronicles the exodus of humanity's survivors following a catastrophic surprise attack in a distant world. It's actually much more in-depth than that, wouldn't you agree? The plot line is yes, incredibly more in-depth than it's that. It's terribly hard to uh, reduce the uh, plot arc of several series years with just that one sentence. It is. I worked incredibly hard <laughs> to summarize it down to that. I think you did pretty good. The series... Um, is heavily laden with Greek mythology. They have names like Athena, um, Apollo. Hilo. Exactly. They come from planets that have Greek um, or Roman names to them. Sagittarion. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, so it's heavily laden with Greek mythology and has a lot of religious overtones to it, um, but is commonly considered to have transcended the sci-fi genre and is currently one of the best dramas on television. But that's all about to change soon, isn't it, Michelle? Yes. Unfortunately, the series ends next spring in 2009. Yeah, they put a drop-dead time on it. They said this series is going to end at this time. So our quest today, back to our, our quest today, is to connect uh, Battlestar Galactica to William Allen White. First, let me give you a little background on the television series Battlestar Galactica. The franchise, fran franchise uh, was actually created by producer Glenn Larson. Um, in 1978, and it starred Lauren Green of Bonanza fame. Um, unfortunately, it did not prove to be so successful. Although I can remember watching it pretty uh, religiously as a child. Yeah, it's left some imprints. I believe there's some robot villain types that um, <laughs> that uh, affected you substantially. Yes, I, um, to this day, have a phobia of robots, and I think it's probably because I was a little too young to watch this original series when it aired. In the late 70s. Well, you were in luck for at least a little while anyway, because Bonanza, 
because uh, Battlestar Galactica went off the air fairly shortly in 1978. But in 2000, it was, and I'm using quotes here, reimagined, because you don't remake, because that's not as cool as reimagining. Right. It was reimagined in, in 2003 by Ronald Moore, who was a former Star Trek writer. Um, a lot of people attribute um, some of the structure to the to the to the series, they attribute it to Mormon doctrine, specifically referencing there is um, um, the twelve colonies in the series, and they think that kind of reflects some t- twelve tribes um, and a journey to find the missing tribe, um, kind of related to Mormon theology. The series is often considered gritty and realistic. Majority of the series takes place on the Battlestar Galactica, which is a spaceship that is kind of a fill-in for a dirty, gritty, oldie-timey submarine. Right, and in this series it actually is considered old-time because it doesn't have some of the more updated technology of some of the other battleships in the right. fleet. Right, so it's kind of low-tech futuristic. Mm-hmm. Ret- retro-futuristic. <laughs> um, but it's most often like kind of critically, um, it gets a lot of credit as being sort of the best um, example of post 9-11 drama. Um, it deals a lot with war on terror, mm-hmm. and you never quite, it, it tries to manipulate your perspective. It never quite lets you know who the good guy or who the bad guy is. And it's also um, complete with monotheistic religious fundamentalism by way of synthetic humanoid robots. <laughs> it's good stuff. I like it. I like it. We're probably going on too much about it. But Michelle, I believe you have a solution. You have found a way to connect this this bizarre sci-fi series to William Allen White, the editor from Emporia, Kansas. Well, I tried, and I'm, I'm not sure I made a very successful uh, connection. My first route was through Katie Sackoff, who is the actress who portrays the character of Starbuck on the Reimagined series. And I know for several years she uh, dated an individual who actually played for the Kansas City Chiefs professional football team. I see. That gets us closer. It gets us close, but unfortunately I couldn't really get any closer than Kansas City. So I went another route, and I found that there was uh, a link from the Kansas City Chiefs, John Lohmeyer, who played for the Chiefs in the late 1970s. He graduated from Emporia State University. And that gives us to Williams L. White's town. Exactly. Gets us to Emporia, which is, of course, is where William Allen White lived. There you go. Not a real strong connection, pretty loosey-goosey, but it was the best I could do. Well, I would not feel bad, Michelle, because I actually had difficulty finding a connection between William Allen White and Battlestar Galactica as well. Who knew? Who knew? Um, Here's what I got. In the 1978 version, the ace pilot slash maverick slash kind of resident hunk was played by the actor... Uh, Dirk Benedict. And you might remember Benedict as the character Face from the A-Team. It's kind of what he's best known for. Absolutely. Uh, Benedict was a native of Montana, and he grew up on a farm and had not even considered acting until he got to college. And he was dared to participate in a theater production uh, at, at the university, a theater production of Showboat. Um, and as many probably have already pick, are already picking up, Showboat um, was the fir- was first produced in 1927. It was based on a popular 1926 novel by the dramatist and playwright Edna Ferber. And as we all know, Edna Ferber and William Allen White were BFF. 
Uh, they first met while reporting on the Republican convention in 1912 and remained lifelong friends. And actually, at the house, there are multiple books written by Edna Ferber that are inscribed with cutesy little personal messages to <laughs> William Allen White. Well, I think you did a much better job of connecting Battlestar Galactica. I know. We always, use, we always use Edna Ferber, though. It's kind of weak. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Um, Shell, would you like to give us our next challenge? Sure. In the spirit of Thanksgiving, we want you to connect William Allen White to a rickety boat, specifically the Mayflower. In 1620, this historic boat carried a group of angry religious separatists to perhaps the first Thanksgiving dinner. Yes, yes. So if you think you connect, you can connect William Allen White to the Pilgrim Carnival cruise ship, just send your chain of connection to podcasts at kshs.org. That is podcasts with an S. And thanks for helping today, Michelle. No problem. That concludes episode 68, Smoked Turkey. If you would like to see images of this unique tomahawk, go to our website at kshs.org and click on the podcast icon. Discussions about professional golf rarely mention Kansas. However, in 1968, golf's best players met at a Kansas City golf course to put an end to long-standing rivalries. Come back in two weeks when Nikayla Zimmerman discusses a ticket issued to one of golf's most historic matchups. It's a fight on the fairway when we return. Finally, we want to know what you're thinking. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, or if you think we're boring, let us know by leaving comments on our iTunes page or by completing a survey on our website, kshs.org, from either the Cool Things page or the podcast page. This podcast is a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories. Real people, real stories.